Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we're going to be discussing uh, all of the content that has come out of this stay-at-home environment that we're in right now. And then you're going to hear a snippet of my conversation with uh, director Lenny Abrahamson. You know him. He was nominated for an Oscar for Room. He's got a new Hulu series, Normal People, which is right now on Hulu, and it's getting wild critical acclaim, quite different. Uh, And I had a good time talking to him all the way from Ireland. You know, the fun, I remember doing a panel years ago with Lenny about Room, and it's funny, now I think about it, in some ways, Room would have been the perfect movie for the stay-at-home environment that people are in right now, because you really could have just shot the whole thing in literally that back shack. Absolutely. Unlike Room, I'm not necessarily sure a lot of these stay-at-home attempts are, are worthy of critical acclaim. I don't know, you know... I will. I loved the All Rise season finale that we saw of the CBS uh, legal drama uh, a couple weeks ago because they actually incorporated reality into what they're doing. And basically, if you haven't seen the show, it involves a rookie uh, judge on the L.A. Supreme, Los Angeles County Supreme Court, uh, um, who Superior Court, who basically is trying to fight the system but also work with the system, including some of her old buddies in the district attorney's office. They dealt with this like many people are having to deal with it, with Zoom and with technical difficulties. It was very well, very, very well done because it felt so true to form. But so many of these other ones, I don't know, they just don't work for me. Well, Dominic, I have to say, having uh, been uh, in the uh, world, the virtual world of doing interviews endlessly for the last few weeks for various things that we do for Deadline, uh, technical difficulties is not going to make me want to tune into a show. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. But I'll say this. No, no, Pete, uh, Pete, what I mean by that. What, no, what I mean by that is this is the technical thing, because clearly this was all pre, this was a, this wasn't live. It was done as a show. They wrote the show to be a virtual show. And what I mean by technical difficulties, at one point in the show, they decide to do a bench trial via Zoom or via, via web, web events and what have you. And like in real life, the characters encountered technical difficulties, including some people's mics not working as well, some people having bad internet reception and stuff like that. That felt very real to me. It felt very of the time, of the moment. I don't know if that, of course, like many shows, it was a season finale. It wasn't really supposed to be all rise of season finale, but they, because they finished production early and the halt when the stay at home and lockdowns occurred here in Los Angeles and in many places around the world, they kind of put this together. Unlike so many shows who either just went with the last show that they had done or tried to Frankenstein together a season finale, they really created this one for the time and moment. But it is almost the only remote created or remote viewed or however term you want to use stay at home edition it's the only thing that's really worked for me over the past couple of weeks and it's amazing because with so many incredibly talented and creative people i thought more people would have done more with what they got yeah i think that's interesting you know i was talking to mimi leader uh from my behind the lens uh last week uh we taped something and she brought up this really doesn't know as a director, Emmy-winning director and executive producer right now of Morning Show, she really doesn't know where it's going to go and how they are going to achieve these things. Obviously, Al Rice figured it out for at least one episode to be able to do it and deliver on their their order, as it were. But Mimi's like, uh, like the rest of us, has no idea what it's going to look like. But I brought up the fact, how could you have shot 
the last few episodes of Morning Show, particularly the uh, uh, sexual assault sequence with Steve Carell and Gugu Mabatha Raw, and uh, and and subsequent week stuff, and she said, "Yeah, for good or for bad, in these intimate scenes, we're going to have to do everything differently." So you know, All Rise figured it out for one show, but I don't think that's the answer. And I think I agree with well, you. Well, here, here's the thing: is I don't think anybody could. What they did for one show is kind of like, you know. Let's be clear. I mean, they were they were dealing with reality, but let's also be clear. It was a gimmick, and it was they did it well. They made it work. They made it work for them because it was it was so of the time and of the moment. Like you know, sometimes how shows like The Daily Show or Colbert or people like that, the late night shows, who also have been having to do these at homes to varying degrees of, of success. You know, those shows on an election night will be live. And that's a good gimmick because you really watch it happen. You watch them dealing with, you know, election results and wins and loses in real time. I don't see how anyone can do this in a sustained way. And to give you an example of that is, you know, just recently we saw the season 45 finale of Saturday Night Live, which was their third at-home edition. And to me, and I've never been a big, I'm not a big Saturday Night Live fan. I'm just old enough to remember the glory days of Mike Myers and just barely old enough to remember Eddie Murphy. And honestly, man, I just haven't felt those heights have been achieved in a long time with the exception of an occasional Tina Fey. um, Tina Fey, who did show up on Weekend Update this week, but yet again, the Saturday Night Live at home, all pre-taped and just felt kind of creaking and groaning under the strain of trying to deliver comedy with really none of the energy of being in front of an audience. And that was a clear fail there. I just don't see how many of these shows do this. Comedy without an audience is is a very difficult thing to do. You can see, I think actually the late night hosts have gotten comfortable doing it and making it work in its own way and uh, with monologues, which I never thought would be possible, but I find myself laughing an audience of one at a lot of that with Kimmel and, and uh, Fallon and, and Colbert. I think they're doing as, as well as they can. And remember, in the days of old, a lot of talk shows were done without an audience. You know, that's how it was uh, done. Yeah. And, you know, they've sort of gone back to that. So, that, you know, it's funny in some ways, it's funny in some ways, this at-home world of ours right now is tailor-made for a Tom Snyder show. Yeah, exactly. Just like that, Dave, what David Susskind did in the earlier days of television and things. Uh, it makes you listen a little more, and that's good. As far as SNL, no, of course, you want that audience in there and, and all of that. I think it's hit and miss, but I think SNL's always hit and miss. It's famous for yeah. being um, uh, but uh, way more missed than hit, in my opinion. I'll tell you one thing about the late nights, though. The one thing about the late nights that that has really, really endeared them to me, um, the Jimmys and and Colbert, is how much of behind the veil they have revealed. I mean, Fallon with his kids and the fact that the guy has a home slide in his in his rec room um, has just been wonderful. Like, oh, they're amazing. Kimmel has, uh, you know, I, I think Jimmy is, is great. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes within the format of late night, there's a certain uh, glibness that doesn't feel true to him that he does. And what's interesting about Kimmel now is that's gone. And he feels so much more at ease in some ways. Colbert is in a difficult position because it feels like he's mocking the, the situation, but, you know, the situation isn't really that mockable. And I don't mean he's mocking people suffering from COVID-19 or anything like that, not at all. But what I mean is he's mocking the reality of having to do this from his home 
but it doesn't feel like he's he's finding a way to find peace with it. That mocking would have been okay for the first week or so, but we're now several weeks into this, and clearly at this point we just have to deal with it. What's interesting to me, I, I don't know how many of these you saw, but is these benefit concerts. You know, I always remember the great John Lennon quote, that you can be benefited to death. You know, and that's one of the reasons why the former Beatle turned down things like the Bangladesh concert and stuff like that back in the day. It's funny how many of these work and how many don't. And, you know, Seth Meyer is just starting a new thing on Peacock. You know, there's going to be the little short thing he's going to do. But I don't know. How many of these have you seen and which ones have you liked? I haven't watched a whole lot of them because they tend to be one person coming on, singing a song, going to the next one. And in between, I watched the one. Uh, that uh, Lady Gaga put together, and uh, oh, the uh, the Global Citizen one, the so One World concert. Yeah, it's fine, and and it made a lot of money. And actually, they didn't ask for money during it, which I thought was nice, even though they had different messages. And it had some really strong moments in it. But to me, it's just one thing after another. And there there's so many of those that after a while, um, they don't become fresh or anything. I was going to add one thing though on the talk show. I've been watching Bill Maher deal with this too and i the way he's dealing with the audience not being there it's really interesting dominic because he's using old footage of all these old audience shows goes to the golden yeah. Globe audience and things i laugh every single time for whatever <laughs> reason that doesn't bother me at all and it works for his monologue what i don't like is he doesn't have the guests together he's inter interviewing them each individually and it becomes a different kind of vibe on that show it's affecting different shows different ways we see all these benefits we've seen all these Sitcoms doing these kind of reunion shows, which I think is great. I thought Parks and Rec, great idea to do that. Now Community and uh, you the know, try to table read. Grace and Frankie try to table read. You know, these are all nice ideas, one-offs. Keyword is one-off. But what about exactly, exactly? What about you know? I think I I think I think that when we when the, the only place to kind of gauge how this can really work is the late nights, the Jim, the Jimmies and, and Colbert. And I do think, I mean, you saw it from, if you look from week one, like I did from the first week to today, they, of course, there's been a noticeable improvement in production value um, in terms of working in, in the, the spaces they're using, the way they're working with it. But what's amazing about those three guys is they have, and to some degree, Trevor Noah and his, I have to say, endless collection of hoodies which which now has become the number one thing i watch on the daily show is 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 oh my god trevor's wore a hoodie that he wore three weeks ago like the guy has like 27 42 hoodies it's incredible uh, and colors that are just not like like orange hoodies that's a brave fashion choice even without coronavirus let alone with yeah. coronavirus what about but the late night guys the late night guys are really showing a way to evolve this that is in a way I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, growing up in New York, you had public access TV, and you'd have some of these shows on public access TV that were so weird or crazy, but at the same time passionate that you couldn't help but watch them. Now, some of them were just like disasters, and some of them were just kind of jokes, like, you know, fishing shows and like the Hudson River, which is just like toxic in my opinion at that point but there were one there were some there was like um there were a couple that were just so you know it was like a couch and a light they were almost like uh like like two ferns if it was a real show but they worked oh, and that's kind of what the guys might remind me of yeah there's a place for that what about these specials network specials i mean the production quality on these disney sing-along shows 
um, is first rate. I mean, I look at it and I go like, how do they do this? Is this really their kitchen or did they all go to a studio and do this? Um, in a lot of ways, you know, you're seeing network um, uh, quality stuff uh, with that Disney sing-along uh, concept, which is another thing that maybe these kind of variety specials can go into because now all of them are eligible for Emmys, I guess, in yeah. ways here. A lot of these shows are going to transform the Emmy race this year in, in some of these categories. And we're going to see how the industry reacts to them quality-wise. But I think these Disney sing-along things, at least in terms of the production value on it, they're putting more into it and they're figuring out how to do it on, on less than they normally would. And that may become a thing of the future as they find out how to do these things on the cheap and still get um, uh, people tuning in. I think both those specials were the most watched of the night. Uh, in terms yeah, of yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's interesting in that sense, because you, you do sort of allow you, you do the studios, the networks, but especially the streamers, which Disney now is, of course, um, with Disney Plus. It does allow them an opportunity to create what I would call alternative content and maybe more timely content. You know, one of the things that, for instance, like Netflix has tried and, and for the most part failed to do a talk show um, on, on streaming. It just doesn't work. It's not timely. It doesn't, it, they feel antiquated. You know, they've done some things where it's a single topic thing and that works, but it's not really a talk show. But no. these things, you know, this could be where the streamers could find a way to do something that now we've all become kind of used to and not really offended or, or you know, what have you by the, a Zoom event or a web event or a, however you want to, whatever platform you're using. I think that that could be something you might see more in the future. You might and see something like when there's a, a natural disaster, heaven forbid, or something else where you would see all of a sudden all these, these, all this talent show up to do a benefit for, you know, some poor community in Georgia or North Carolina or Montana or wherever that have been hit by something, they could instantly respond. And that would be fantastic. Yeah, and I think in the case of Disney, since they uniquely also own ABC, they're able to monetize it by showing it as an ABC special with commercials and then putting it on Disney, uh, uh, you know, a streaming service two days later where it can live on and it, it serves as instant content filler for, for their streamer and a, uh, a sponsored program for their network. It's the best of all worlds for Disney, which is struggling in other ways to uh, yeah. financially yeah. survive this. So there is there is a model that we're seeing coming out of this, and I'm sure it's going to affect things. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it goes forward. Hopefully, for the sake of all of us, it doesn't go forward too much in the future and become a permanent thing because I don't think I can handle it, man. Well, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we will we will see responsible reopening, especially in production and 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 in both uh, hubs like Los Angeles and New York. In that vein, though, my friend, you mentioned Disney and streaming, and of course, Disney controls Hulu, and Hulu is now showing the, the show Normal People, and I believe you, as you mentioned earlier, have something to say about that. Yes, uh, I interviewed uh, Lenny Abrahamson. He was our first uh, interview uh, with our new virtual way of doing these on Behind the Lens. And uh, he came in loud and clear uh, right there from uh, uh, old Ireland there and uh, had a lot to say about 
interestingly new ways for him to deal with uh, streaming. A, a guy who was Oscar nominated uh, for a film, Room, and then had all kinds of offers. And I asked, why would you want to go into the streaming world? And why would you want to go into television now? And the 12-episode dramatic series, it's a half hour each, breaking all kinds of so-called norms and rules here, focusing on this relationship between these two people. Very interesting answers I got. So here's uh, a bit of that. Now you've done uh, uh, Normal People now, which is a television series. And uh, that was an interesting choice too. It's based on this huge book uh, by Sally Rooney. And uh, you directed the first six episodes, and then the uh, other six episodes were directed by uh, Hetty McDonald, um, which is an interesting kind of setup to take on something like that, particularly for a director like you, who's made several movies, used to doing his own thing all yes. the way through. How did that setup come about that you would split directing here with her? The decision for me not to direct all of it was just partially practical because I, it's a massive commitment. It's 12 half hours, six hours of television. I felt that I could bring my kind of sensibility to it by setting it up. And then I was very excited to collaborate with somebody like Hattie. He's a very brilliant director. And we, we specifically went to somebody who was, you know, a, a voice in their own right. Um, and to see how she would shift things. And the, the, the show really does fall into two halves in a way in terms of the kind of mood uh, of the piece. So it felt right and felt okay to hand over. In the end, it was hard to do. I mean, it, you know, directors are kind of control freaks. You, you do have to be a bit of a control freak. You just sort of know the way you want something to be. And, and, and in the end, it was sort of like, oh, it was, it was hard to hand over. But I think, I think she did an amazing job. And, um, I think that the show feels pretty seamless. You decided to make these kind of uh, half hour, like little movies in a way here. Why was that decision made? Well, that, that description is a really good one, like little movies, because I think the one hour TV format puts great demands on sort of plot B stories and quite a big plot architecture to hold you through that one hour. We've got like varying lengths, but between sort of 20 minutes and half an hour. And we're able to have these really like intimate bite-size jewel-like uh, films about key moments in their relationship some of which we play like there's some quite sort of uh, real-time scenes like the the first time they make love in episode two that takes up almost half the episode and it just allows a kind of like a close focus intense focus on these two characters to the exclusion of almost everything else do you like this whole world of uh streaming at the moment we don't have much choice it's like um and <laughs> um, yes i i mean i think everything comes with its opportunities and its challenges like there's no question that i still am a cinema person in my gut however there's there are things that you can do on a on these streaming platforms that you cannot otherwise do like just the level of detail that we can get into in this relationship there's no feature equivalent that would get to a big audience it would be a super niche feature whereas on a streaming service correctly presented to an audience it can actually reach a mass audience and i find that very exciting Well, that, that was a very, a very abnormally fantastic interview to talk about normal people. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk this week. Now, make sure as you listen, but also tell others to listen to because it's called show business, not show friends, that you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you or those you love never miss an episode. 
And of course, you can find all of our Emmy breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll hear and we'll talk to you soon about TV. Bye-bye.